the center of Jewish worship in the first century was the great temple in Jerusalem. Built by Herod the Great, it was a magnificent structure dedicated to the worship of God. Its innermost chamber, the Holy of Holies, was believed to be the earthly dwelling place of God. And the temple was the only place in which the sacrifices that were the heart of Jewish worship were allowed to take place. Those sacrifices required animals, of course. And because it was impractical for those who came to Jerusalem as pilgrims to make sacrifices at the temple to bring those cattle and sheep with them, it made sense to have animals on site for them to purchase. Worshippers were also required to pay a temple tax. However, because Jewish law forbid the making of graven images, the temple would not accept the commonly used Roman coins because they bore an image of the emperor on them. Such coins had to be exchanged for temple coins, hence the need for money changers on the temple premises. All of this was to help the temple function in the way that it was supposed to. Can you imagine the sight and sounds and smells that would have filled the temple courtyard? Sheep bleeding and cattle bellowing, doves fluttering in their cages, buyers and sellers haggling, coins jingling, pilgrims leading their purchases away to be slaughtered. Now, imagine the chaos that ensues when a man runs in and begins to drive out the animals, the screams of people trying to get out of the way of the stampede, doves flying hither and yon, the sounds of tables being overturned and money clattering on the stones, and the middle of it all, Jesus brandishing a whip and shouting, stop making my father's house a marketplace. Who is this Jesus? Certainly not the Savior we know and love. No, this is an angry Jesus, a wild-eyed, shouting Jesus, a Jesus, a violent Jesus, who not only disrupts the temple courtyard, but disturbs our image of him as one who blesses little children, heals the sick, feeds the hungry, and tells us to love one another. This Jesus doesn't sound very loving at all. The religious authorities, whom the Gospel of John labels as the Jews, refers to the authorities, not to the Jewish people, are strangely calm as they view the chaos that Jesus has created. And instead of having Jesus arrested, they question him. Why? Because they recognize that this is not an act of a madman or a terrorist or a zealot bent on defying Roman authority, No, this is an act that places Jesus squarely in the tradition of Old Testament prophets who often performed rather outlandish acts in order to criticize the power of the temple establishment and its emphasis on ritual over right living. The question that those in charge asked Jesus, what sign can you show us for doing this? Is their attempt to understand by what authority Jesus has brought the temple activity to a standstill? We may find ourselves asking the same thing, and I suspect that the answer that Jesus gives, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, sounds as ridiculous to us as it did to the Jewish authorities. Fortunately, the gospel writer throws us a lifeline. 
but he was speaking of the temple of his body. The temple of his body. The Jerusalem temple was the place where humanity and the holy met, the place where sinful people could approach the almighty presence of God. But the coming of Jesus has changed all that. He is the word made flesh, the incarnation of God. And with his coming, the temple system becomes obsolete. It is no longer necessary. Animal sacrifices do not need to be made. People don't need anyone to mediate between them and their God. No longer will those who are poor or ill or disabled or otherwise unable to meet temple standards be shut out of worship. And no longer will God reside in the temple, for Jesus himself is the presence of God, and his body is now the place of God's activity in the world. And not just his body. Think about what Jesus did during his ministry. He fed the hungry and healed the sick. He made the lame walk and gave sight to the blind. He washed the disciples' dirty feet and raised the three-day dead body of Lazarus back to life. And so all of those bodies became the place of God activity too. Indeed, it seems to me that the presence of the holy God in the body of Jesus has made all bodies Precious and holy, all bodies, every body, including yours and mine, including those with whom we are less comfortable, the homeless, the physically and mentally challenged, those who are ill, including those whose race, ethnicity, sexuality, lifestyle, or faith practices are different from our own. All of those bodies, all of these bodies are blessed by God. All of them are precious and holy in God's eyes. But we don't always see or treat them that way. And that gives me pause. That causes me to do some soul searching. Especially this past week. Last Sunday evening here in El Segundo, A high school student wearing a black sweatshirt and a Raiders hat was running down the street when someone in a truck started to take photos of him on his cell phone. The youth waved his arms in confusion and ran harder. And shortly thereafter, three police cars and five police officers converged on him. Instead of simply engaging the young man in conversation, the officers chose to treat him as if he were a suspect in a crime. They arrested him, held his hands tightly behind his back while they patted him down, then took him to the police station where they questioned him for some 30 minutes before they let him go. How I wish they had handled things differently. For if they had taken the time, they would have learned that this youth wasn't running from something. He was running to something. He was running to our church. You see, this young man, a high school sophomore who lives in Gardena, is a regular member of our youth group. I just happened to be there on Sunday night, and when the young man came in, I could see for myself that he was in shock and absolutely terrified. Terrified. 
Eric Iki, our youth director, was able to have one-on-one -on -one time with him, fortunately, and during that conversation, he learned that this young man was running down the street simply because he had stayed too long at a friend's house and he was late to come to the Sunday night gathering. By the way, this young man was wearing the Raiders hat, which is often associated with gangs, because his grandfather had given it to him and had had his name embroidered on it. I might also add that this particular young man was closer to God, had come closer to God, and had recently made a profession of faith. Not that that really matters in this case. Now, I know that we need to watch out for each other, that that's important, and that reporting suspicious activity to the police can be helpful, even crucial, in keeping our community safe. I'm also grateful that the police are quick to respond to such reports, and I respect their need to protect themselves. They do a very dangerous job. And I can relate to the fear that motivated a citizen to pull out his cell phone and that caused the police officers to rep respond in such an aggressive manner. Nevertheless, I am appalled and angered by what happened to this young man. No crime had been committed. No one had asked the police for help. There was no indication that anyone was in danger. It was simply a young man running down the street like all kids do. But there is a significant difference between this young man and most of the others in this community. He has a dark-skinned body. He is Hispanic. And I can't help but think that if he had been white, the citizen who photographed him would not have felt the need to do so. And I can't help but wonder if his encounter with the police would have been very different if he had been white. And if his dark skin was indeed the reason that he was photographed and that he was arrested and brought in for questioning, then what happened on Sunday night was racial profiling. And it was wrong. A painful reminder of the sin of racism that is so prevalent in our society. Sadly, this is hardly the first time that someone has been racially profiled in our community. And I doubt that it was the first time that anyone has been suggest subjected to rough treatment by the police. But even if this thing had never happened before, even if this was an isolated incident, it should give us pause. It should cause us to do some serious soul-searching, both as individuals and as a community. It has certainly caused me to do so. Here's the thing. If we take the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ seriously, if we believe that God so loved the world that he sent his son, that means God loved the entire world, not just people like us. It means that everybody is blessed by God. It also means that we who are called the body of Christ are now God's incarnation in the world. 
We are now to carry out Christ's ministry and embody God's love. Sometimes that means blessing children and helping the sick, being kind, and praying for each other. And sometimes that means challenging the status quo, standing up for what is right, and standing with those who are treated as less than human, whether they are black, brown, or white. That's not easy which is why I am so grateful for the safe space that Eric has created for our youth. Isn't it amazing that this youth chose to come here of all places after the police let him go? And for Eric's courage as he continues to work with this young man and his family. And while it's my intention to support him in any way I can, this incident has caused me to search my soul for several reasons. Because I too am prejudiced, because I am afraid, and because I don't really know what I should do at this point. But I know this that this young man and so many others are afraid each and every day, that they are afraid of what might happen to them afraid to be true to themselves, afraid to function in society without guarding their every word and every action. I know that if I let this incident fade away in my memory, if I do not continue my soul-searching and face the prejudice in my own heart, if I give in to my fear and do not stand up for what is right, I will not only have failed this young man and his family, but also our community, but more importantly, I will have failed Christ and my calling to share in God's redemptive purposes in the world. And thanks be to God, I also know one more thing, that our hope is not in vain. And that the power of God's love in Christ will prevail and that someday we won't have to deal with this because we will know how beautiful and how blessed and how holy each and every person is. And so for the moment, I pray. I pray for comfort and healing and courage for this young man and his family, and for all those like him who experience prejudice in whatever form every day. I pray for the gentleman whose concern led him to take these actions, and for the police whose job is more stressful and dangerous than I can imagine and who have no idea what they are walking into when they respond to a call. Pray for them too. And I pray for myself because I know that I must do more than pray. I must also act. And I need God's wisdom and courage and guidance to do that. I also need God's forgiveness and God's help, just as we all do. I want us to have a moment of silence.
And then I want us, if you are comfortable, to join me in the prayer of confession that is in the bullet. Let us be in silence this, at this moment. <laughs> 